This is the Otaku Nate Show, Episode 1, Dr. Stone, Science Rules. What is up, anime fans? Otaku Nate here with the first installment of the Otaku Nate Show. This is basically a continuation of my old video series that I posted on Vimeo called Otaku Nate's Lost Worlds of Anime. I did about 34 episodes before ultimately I just got tired of video editing and I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna walk away from this for now. Maybe I would return someday. I had ideas brewing in my head, but video editing was just way too tedious, and it took up a lot of my time and space on my hard drive. But in the words of Eric Bischoff's theme song, I'm back, and I'm better than ever. And we're going to kick off this new show by reviewing Dr. Stone. And I decided I'd go with something a little uh, mainstream and recent to attract new viewers. So joining me this week are my co-hosts, uh... Introduce yourselves. Not it. Justin Young here. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Andrew Davis, and I'm from PopAnimeComics.com and the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. And lastly, um, I- I'm William. Uh, I'm a complete nobody. Uh, I go by many names like Lord Crab or Uriah, <laughs> but just just call me William. Yep. Uh, this show, we're going to have a rotating guest host, so uh, we get different people from different perspectives. Mostly these are just people I know from Facebook, because I just feel that having the same hosts week in and week out would get stale. I want different people with different perspectives. Plus, it'll help when I review an anime that I don't like, and I've got several that are in the pipeline. But for now, we're going to talk about Dr. Stone, anime that came out anime that came out last year based on a manga that ran in Shonen Jump by Richiro Inagaki and... Korean-born manga artist Boichi. The anime adaptation was produced by Tokyo Movie Shincha for 24 episodes. TMS is one of those studios I think a lot of people sleep on. Do you guys agree with me? I would basically... I basically would agree. Given that a lot of their shows tend to be more cult favorites than mainstream hits. Because they have an amazing legacy. Perhaps they're most well-known for doing Detective Conan and Lupin III, but you go and check their resume, they have an incredible legacy. Just to name some shows, they did Attack Number 1, they did Magic Knight Rare, they did uh, Hamtaro, uh, they did the 2005 adaptation of Glass Mask, they did Golga 13, The Professional. They've done limitless co-productions, too. They did animation for things like Animaniacs, Tiny Toon Adventures, Inspector Gadget, Mysterious Cities of Gold, uh, Ulysses 31. Go on their Wikipedia page and go through their filmography. You will see just how amazing they are. So, Dr. Stone, who wants to give the premise? Um, I, I would. I will, if, if that's okay. Okay, William, you and first, you volunteer. Okay, uh, so Dr. Stone, the story goes is... One day, this green mist thing just encompasses the entire Earth, petrifying everyone, every human being, along with a few birds for some reason. Fast forward to roughly 4,000 years into the future, 
our hero Senku, a science-obsessed genius, like he's like a genius. Uh, Super genius. Literally, yeah. He breaks out from his stone imprisonment uh, along with his best friend Taiju and their crush, uh, his crush, Yuzuriha. And Senku wants to rebuild civilization, bring back humanity from the stone world completely from scratch with the power of science, basically. And that's pretty much where the story begins. So what were your initial impressions of Dr. Stone when you first watched it? Who wants to go first? So when I first watched it, within the first few minutes of the first episode, I fell in love with the show. And it was everything that I wanted from just beautiful animation to well-thought-out story and where it was going, in my opinion. And it also wasn't as gruesome and as bloody as some other things that was a cultural phenomenon when Attack on Titan came out. And so I thought it had that same effect in many ways but in a cleaner and more intellectual way. And it also had a more surreal feeling where, oh, this can actually be done in real life. And they did put that warning at the end. While these things are fictitious, the science isn't. And so for me, that kind of sold me on it in many ways, where it sort of bridged the gap between, I guess, having a fake anime and having a magical girl anime, and there's nothing wrong with that, or having a fantasy to having something that's actually real. And so for me, that that was a big difference, and that's why I fell in love with it. I was going to say that it was sort of a shonen that wasn't a shonen. As you said, it's, based, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, well-animated, beautifully researched, <laughs> right down to that Mythbusters-esque don't-try-this-at-home content warning <laughs> at the end. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. And I was actually just blown away. The acting is brilliant. The writing is actually the best part of the show is the writing, if we're all honest with ourselves. And I knew instantly, oh my gosh, people are going to be talking about this in 20 years for sure. Lastly, for me, I just went into Dr. Stone completely blind. Uh, I had no expectations for it other than I've heard the manga was really, really good. So I gave the anime a shot, and right off the bat, I was really impressed. Not to recycle what Andrew and Justin said, but I do have to agree. It's a really good-looking show. I love the science, uh, the scientific facts, and everything that was put into this. It's very evident that both Ritro Itagaki and also the producers and the staff on the anime did their research on it and it shows and also just to add to justin's point i like that it's shonen but at the same time it kind of isn't it doesn't feel it's the anti-shonen series yes to you know what yes but it's not like something like bleach uh, naruto or any of your other typical like mainstream shonen black clover yeah that too I just like that it has the energy and the optimistic spirit of Shonen, but it has its own unique story, which I really appreciate that. I'll stop it right there for now in case we have to go over anything else. Um, in many ways, it's, I don't know how many people are wrestling fans, but it's kind of the Joey Ryan Orange Cassidy approach to Shonen. In, nah, in that's, that's Gintama you're thinking of. <laughs> this is more like sure. Zack Sabre Jr., or fair enough, Carl fair Gotch, enough. I, it's a scientific I'll rescind, approach. I'll rescind my, my comment right there, and I'll agree with you, Nate. 
Your analogy is bad, and you should feel bad. <laughs> I feel terrible, and now I'm going to go into the corner and cry. So, <laughs> I mean, I will also add that yes, it. I didn't even notice this when I was getting into the series. It is a little bit like MythBusters with how Senku and the others are just experimenting with everything with a, a lot of trial and error. Again, another thing that I like. I think that's really awesome. Well, my impressions, because I first heard about Dr. Stone through uh, Super Eyepatch Wolf's videos on the current state of Shonen Jump. When it first started airing, naturally, because I'm not a seasonal anime guy, I didn't watch it. I was assumed that it was something that I would just catch up on when it finished airing, like I do with most shows. But then, Kenny Lauderdale put it over in one of his streams. And I said to myself, huh, if Kenny Lauderdale likes this show, then it must be good. And so I went, checked it out, got hooked right away from the first episode, and I never looked back. I think part of the reason why I got hooked was because I like the setting of Dr. Stone, because the post-apocalypse is a very common setting in fiction. You know, you've got the Fallout games, you've got Mad Max. In anime and manga, you have things like Violence Jack and Fist of the North Star and now and then here and there, but in this case, it's not necessarily an apocalyptic event so much as it is a cataclysm where the Earth doesn't necessarily end, but rather humanity has become frozen in time and also it's more like the earth has pretty much reset itself because no humanity and it just lets nature run its course you, you've ever seen the, that show uh, after humanity on the history channel that asks what would happen if humanity just disappeared from the earth and where life would go from there Yep. That's not the first couple episodes that's sort of what the world ago. of dr stone reminds me of in, in yeah. many ways, in many ways, there's a book, and I'm actually reading it right now. It's called The Knowledge, How to Rebuild Civilization in the Aftermath of a Cataclysm. And the entire book talks about all the science that you need. And then within the first 10 pages of the book, it talks about this grace period that humanity would have. And in many ways, Dr. Stone is that reset and is that grace period. And I don't want to ruin anything, but... A good chunk of the first season is that grace period where there's not that many people around there. The only real threat for really the first 10 episodes, for the most part, is, okay, how are we going to tame an animal that's coming at us because a lion's chasing after you and it's hungry? And it's almost like the terrain and the setting is the only threat for, for the first 10 episodes of the show. And I don't think I'm ruining anything if anybody hasn't seen it. But that's the major threat. And so it's kind of that theory where they're rebuilding society or what they have a society in this grace period. And I think that's so interesting because usually I'm a big Walking Dead fan. In The Walking Dead, you have a real threat of zombies. Humanity, for really most of the first season, isn't the threat. It's how do we survive this new environment without our cell phones? Well, we'll get to the people who survived. I've got the interview with Richiro Inagaki and Boichi in front of me, and Inagaki said in the interview that one of the ideas he had for the event was that Senku wouldn't necessarily be petrified. He could have been frozen in ice or had a spell cast on him where he doesn't age for thousands of years. Ultimately, his inspiration for having everyone on Earth petrified came from Dragon Quest. Ooh. <laughs> which that actually is quite a parallel 
I love the little uh, Dragon Quest pop-ups that they use in the anime whenever a new piece of technology has been acquired. <laughs> yes, I was, was going I was gonna say, yeah, they do make a a few references to Dragon Quest along with a few other things as well. They make reference to Ice Shield Twenty One in Agaki's previous work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the character's name, but he makes like a tiny little cameo. Uh, he's seen operating like one of those milling wheels or something yeah him the guy with the the guy with the chestnut head the lineman i forgot his name because it's been a while since i've yeah. read it, but i know who it is you bring up a good point about uh senku being this super genius because senku is not your typical shonen hero because usually the shonen hero protagonist is usually underdog hero that wants to get stronger or if you're reading like 80s shonen the strong hero who is trying to get through tougher and tougher opponents like Baki or Kenshiro or the Jotaro family. Yeah, the Joestar family. Senku. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Yeah, Senku um is definitely none of those things because especially becomes apparent watching the show on Toonami alongside JoJo's, which is actually why I call it the why I called it Shonen is not a Shonen because on one hand. It is Senku, he could beat Goku not really in a fight directly, but he's he has Goku's like physical prowess, but mentally. It's actually really dang fascinating to see it in action on the screen. Because here's a guy who has all this knowledge, but he also knows how to use it in a very low-key, deliberate, move the story forward, both to the audience and character sort of way. Yeah, I think that's interesting also where he doesn't have strength, but he knows how to utilize other people who do have strength. And I think that's so interesting to see a smart character actually know how to deploy other characters. And we haven't seen that, or I haven't seen that in a while on a Shonen, where typically we have the main character is the center, and then everybody else is kind of the secondary. With Senku, it seems that he's the center, but everybody else seems to be not five notches below him, but rather just like one notch below him. And it really actually does highlight the other characters, where I feel in Dr. Stone, there's no main character, really. The one thing that I like about Senku, and this was mentioned on another podcast, but the thing that makes Senku such a great character is that he's intelligent, but he's not an asshole about it. He never brags about his intelligence. He's not secretive. He's not selfish. He wants to use his knowledge to help others. I don't know about that. I think Senku's kind of douchey from time to time, but that's what I... Hmm? He, I think it's sort of out of necessity. Yeah. Maybe, but, well, but he's our dick. Maybe, but... <laughs> we, we need to make it clear. He, he, he could be a dick, and he has been, but he's our dick, and he's the dick we want to love. <laughs> that's that, <laughs> Well put. Well, that's actually... A point I want to bring up about Senku that I personally love about him. On one hand, I love that for as altruistic and as noble as his goal is, he can be a douche. But I find that so not only entertaining for me as a viewer, but also the fact that he's the hero or the main protagonist in a shonen series. Because, well, you'll always, always get like characters like Izuku or Naruto the goody two-shoes boy scout kind of character not not that i'm trying to put them down mind you i'm just using them the ones who the ones who constantly say i'm gonna be the strongest exactly 
Senku is not strong at all, even though he looks decently built. But for some reason, he's always been written as like being a weakling, which makes no sense to me. I think it's not so much that he's a weakling. It's more a case of he has no knowledge on combat. He doesn't know how to fight. He's a pacifist by nature. Like me. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I mean, that's definitely true. It's just, I don't know. It's just a, a little observation for me. But that's just that's just why I love Senku. He's he's a turbo genius. He's a good guy, despite some of his uh, less than nice guy tendencies. Tendencies, yes. Like he could be like a total trickster, or just have like these little villainous moments every now and then. That out of context, he looks completely evil but i think that just makes i mean for me that just makes him all the more charming not evil whichever Mm -hmm. yeah that's what i go for do you have any more thoughts on senku justin um he may be a weakling but he's still got a little bit just a little bit that showing sex guy energy (laughs) (laughs) i don't know man there's something about that his brain is his biggest there's something about that hair of his it's one half Yugi Moto, one half Spring Onion. I was gonna say one half some kind of anime mullet, Yu-Gi-Oh, Yu-Gi-Ohized anime mullet. It's 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 pretty much a Spring Onion. I always get celery from Senku's hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's that little split in the uh, in the middle or on the right side that makes me say Spring Onion. <laughs> I can see that too. But I think. Uh, Senku's character actually comes from Inagaki himself, and I hate to say this, but Senku is a self-insert character on behalf of Inagaki, because Inagaki is very much into science. He says so in interviews that he loves science, and what's interesting is that while Dr. Stone does teach you a lot about ins and outs of science, Inagaki never intended for it to be an educational series. The one quote in this interview that I think sums up Senku's character is Inagaki talking about his worldview. When I think about Dr. Stone, I think it's definitely different when it comes to Senku's power. It's not like he has a superpower and he's going to create a time machine all of a sudden. It's just pulling from his knowledge. He even says that he's building on the past and hopefully people think that it's cool. I was never sure how readers would take that, but the feedback has been great and the support for the fans has been great too. I'll keep making it fun and entertaining, and I thank you for your continued support. Can but, we also just appreciate the fact that Senku spent almost 4,000 years doing nothing but counting? I don't know how you do that. Wow. I legit what what don't type of person do does that? I mean, I, I think that speaks to his character in many ways, is that he's so methodical where he's planning and he anticipates that he'll get out of being petrified. And so how altruistic and how intelligent and how how much foresight, I guess, the word I'm looking for, do you need to understand that I have to count so we have a sense of time, we have a sense of date, we have a sense of how much the Earth has changed. Because if it was 100 years, it's going to change one way. If it was 3,000 years, it's going to change another way. And the very fact that he is willing to keep on counting shows so much integrity of betterment of society. In many ways, I mean, and I think that that's something that we haven't touched upon where that's like the ultimate good, because if you understand time, you could then understand a lot of other things that have occurred, because what if it was 50,000 years, 
it'd be significantly different where there'd be different threats that have occurred. It was only 3,700, but it's that idea that he's anticipating the rebuild while counting. And you're right. That's a very methodical uh, way for what Senku did. Like he spent all that time petrified counting the seconds. And then when he did wake up from his petrification, he's like, okay, I have to factor in the amount of minutes, hours, even days, weeks, months, and even leap days, leap years, whatever. And he did all that in his head. No one else besides someone like Senku could possibly do that. And that's incredible. And to even think about doing that. See, 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 that's the idea that you're petrified. And his first thoughts are to do that while petrified. Because you have to start that immediate. That's what's crazy. And that the amount of foresight into that is bewildering. And I don't even know how we can comprehend that. And that I haven't seen being spoken about on any show on YouTube or any podcast. But just the way he thinks and his IQ level must be off the chart to anticipate that. And it shows so much good. And when you watch that and you think about that, you say, what sacrifice must he have thought to do that? Given lack of sleep, closing his eyes, thinking about something else, thinking about something selfish, but he just kept on counting. I can simply say that his IQ level is probably, no, most certainly, over 9,000. Oh, you had to yeah. make that joke. Sorry. <laughs> it was going to happen eventually. Yeah. Of course, though, we spent a lot of time talking about Senku. We got to talk about the other characters. And of course, the first person who wakes up is Senku's friend, Taiju. Oh, Taiju. He is an idiot, and that's putting it mildly. I was worried that he was going to be the main character because he's more your typical shonen mm-hmm. hero than yeah. Senku. I worried about that for all of, like, five minutes, to be honest. I kind of just was like, well, Taiju's not really in the marketing as much as Senku. Because I remember when the show's first announced, Senku's name and I think his character design were one of the first things that popped up for me. So I'm like, okay, this dude's probably the main character, but then when Taiju woke up, I was like, uh, okay. When's Senku going to show up? When's Senku going to show up? Come on now. I like to think that it's like a clever fake out from Inagaki because you almost half expected that Taiju would be the main character. But, oh, no, it was Senku all along. Yeah, I thought it was a nice touch. I thought it was a nice touch throwing that little, like, traditional shonen character but then doing a 180 and i i I like it i like it and for for a second there going into maybe episode five episode six i was scared that it was gonna be taiju and i'm so glad we didn't go down that route i am so glad i too am happy because honestly taiju is not that interesting of a character as you said he's very much your typical shonen hero. Naive, not the brightest ball of the bunch. He's got that hot-blooded, I'm gonna be the strongest energy to him. Boilerplate, boilerplate shonen character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. He's the Asta of this show. So true. And then after him, we have... Who, was it Yuzuriha or ta- uh, Tsukasa? I can't remember. It's Tsukasa. Tsukasa? Yeah. Okay, I've got a little word about Sakasa, and it has nothing to do with him or his philosophy. It's how he debuts within the 
second or third episode of the show. Because usually with shonen anime, they'll give you a story arc or two before the true villain shows up. Like in Fists of the North Star. The entire first arc is focused on Kenshiro trying to confront Shin, only for it to be revealed that the true villain of the show is Rao. Same thing goes with Full Metal Alchemist. They spend the first few arcs introducing all of the homunculi before they eventually get to Father. But with Dr. Stone, it's a case of, here's Tsukasa. He's the villain. That's all you need to know. For now, probably. For now. But I don't think he's going to answer to a Hauer power. Oh, no, he's so won't. interesting. So interesting. Oh, great. I mean, I mean, gr- great villain, great introduction. I mean, I'll be honest. When that entire thing, so, so, I mean, I'm going to give slight pretense here and context is he wakes up and he seems to be on their side, but he has a change of heart because he has a very conflicting philosophical position than Senku does. And I thought it was so interesting when they went down that route with him and then he disappears for a while. And and, and, and we're, we're, I mean, I don't think it's a secret. We're obviously going to get more of him in season two. If you exactly. didn't know there was a season two of Dr. Stone, I just ruined your day. And that's <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> and, and, and so, 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 oh, or maybe I made your day better either way because that show is fantastic and if we're getting a part two or a season two wonderful but my point is that he disappears for a while and I thought that was clever I thought that was different I think this show does different things and they did a very different position with their villain where you introduce your villain and at least the main villain of season two and I'm not going to jump ahead if we get more but that that's such a different method it's such a different way how to tell a story and i think that's what because Dr. Usually, stone does usually in shonen and again i'm not an expert on the subject usually characters are first introduced as villains but then they end up becoming the friends or allies of our heroes but dr stone does the reverse sukasa is introduced first as a friend before he ultimately becomes the villain. Oh, they're going to hug it out. We all know it, right? (laughs) We got our fingers crossed, right? (laughs) What I love about this, though, is that the conflict between Senku and Tsukasa isn't necessarily a battle of who's stronger, but the idea of whose philosophy is morally correct. Whereas Senku is very much unselfish in his worldview. He believes that when individuals come together who are strong on their own, Their collective strength is stronger than even the strongest man on Earth. Tsukasa, meanwhile, is more of a primitive survival of the fittest sort of thing. Like, when he goes around destroying those petrified people, you can tell that he's serious. But to talk about that, and this is the thing, is that Senku was raised in a very affluent, very learning-based environment, and very much championing and nurturing. Tsukasa was was raising the complete opposite. And so when we actually start diving into the philosophy of this, and this is why this show is so interesting, is that in the few episodes that we get, we get complete contradictions and we see how those things and how your environment changes you and changes how you act. And that's something that's really well done. And we see that in other shonens, but the fact that we get to see that before there's any major epic battle and flashbacks. I mean, I think we get that stuff 
early on in the first 10 episodes or so and we get why they think the way they think and then everything else that happens following that and i think we're going to see a lot more of this in season two is we're gonna we have an understanding of why senku is the way he is and why everybody else is the way they are and sukas is the way he is he was more or less abused and yelled at and beaten his sister was was sort of beaten a little bit kind of it's hinted at so you know there are i guess the point i'm making is that there are consequences there's both good and bad he's a product of his environment exactly yep I think that's what makes him such a great villain. He's not evil for evil's sake, or he went down the wrong road, per se. This has just been building up inside of him for years and years, and now that he's in a world where literally nobody can fight back against him, he wants it all for himself. And he has power to do it, because he's a powerful, Mm -hmm. he's a physically powerful individual, and Senku is very much an intellectual, powerful person. And so we're getting that conflict of intellectualism versus brute strength. Any last words about Tsukasa that we haven't talked about? Because I love him as a villain. And I can't wait to see where they go with him in season two. Uh, other, than, other than that he's a communist? Yeah, pretty much. He is. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like a Maoist, Stalinist, communist for sure. I really don't like... want... I don't want to like have most of this get turned into like a political or a philosophical discussion like just derail i don't mind people bringing up their politics on the show just don't make it the central focus of the conversation and trust me i i'll try not to but i don't know like i do have to agree with just like how sukasa was portrayed as putting his personal beliefs aside i really just find it um i can't really put it into words like i don't want to (laughs) like i got nothing well, we all know Peter loves him. I was going to say that uh, the show is almost life in a way, because sometimes sometimes when you wake up, when you want to be Senku, but you often end up Tsukasa. Well, it was nothing, it was uh, nothing new because the lions got killed anyway. I still really like the fact that he, the first thing he does when he wakes up, he just freaking bodies a lion. That was amazing. Oh, come on. Come <laughs> it on. Was. It's, it's been a while since I watched that first episode, but I forgot about that. Thanks for bringing oh, well, that it's up. It's nothing new. Just ask, the, ask Detroit. Scene. Just ask Detroit. I'm sure they'll love you people for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I said, number one, if he was their quarterback, they might win it all. Tsukasa doesn't strike me as a guy who'd be a running back. He's more of like a tight end or a linebacker. Well, the, the Lions need him. Especially after they, he downed one of them. <laughs> nah, he need, why couldn't he have downed Matt Patricia? I mean, you can't ask for miracles. You're asking for miracles anyway, here, Nate. You're asking for miracles. So up next, in terms of the people who get unfrozen, we have Yuzuri Hub. I don't think we have to spend much time on her, Not do really. we? I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's voiced by Brittany Lauda, and I'm required to say I love Brittany Lauda in the English version. Yes. She was great in Made in Abyss. Mm-hmm. Brittany makes Yuzuri Hub so adorable but that's really all i could say about her is that she's cute and that's it sadly she she was the right person to voice her yeah pretty loud i do want to say this and it's actually a bit of trivia you know that little ornament she has in her hair i thought they were earmuffs i thought thought so too yeah but we see her wearing headphones so they're not headphones i don't know what those things are but do you want to know what part of her design is some beats I was going to say that. That part of her design is a reference to Boichi's favorite Shonen Jump series. 
Ooh, what is it? Really? Video Girl Eye. <laughs> no oh. way! Oh! Whoa! Yeah, the, the, little, the little swirls oh on the uh, tips of the earmuffs. That's a reference to I. Oh, little, I, uh, I, I didn't even know that. Hair. Oh my that gosh. Is, that, that is deep. Honestly, who, who knew that? That is straight from Boichi that himself. Who knew that? Who knew that here? Because I didn't know that at I, all. I didn't know that. That's the I, deepest I, of deep cuts. I, didn't, I did not know that either. As I said, I didn't know it until I read the interview. And the fact that his favorite Shonen Jump series is Video Girl, I is proof that Dr. Stone is a show for people with taste. That is. Indeed. Damn. So, first arc is pretty much the introduction to the characters, and it goes by quick. It does. Because it doesn't really need to do anything else. It just says, here's Senku, he's our hero. Here's Sukasa, he's the villain. Here's Taiju and Yuzuriha. They're going to go away. <laughs> They're going to be for now. <laughs> for now. And thus we get introduced to the villagers. Yes. of the. Is it the stone village? Uh, that works. For now. Yeah, yeah. all right. We would be here all night if we just discussed our thoughts on the characters, so we're going to go through them in a quick lightning round. And we're going to start off with, in the order they appear on my anime list, Chrome. Chrome. Senku Jr. I love Chrome. He's a good boy. Mm -hmm. He's a good good boy. Magic. Bad. (laughs) Andrew? This is audio only, so you wouldn't notice this, but Andrew on webcam is just dying. <laughs> what happened? I'm sorry. That's how we're first introduced to him. He's like all like excited because he's about to show magic, and Seku just crushes his dreams. It's the funniest scene in the entire <laughs> it show. Is, it, it is hilarious. Cause, cause he's like so excited. He's like, I got him dead to right. And then it's like, I know how you did that. And like in five seconds, and this is what I mean by Seku being a dick. And we all want to do what he just did in that scene. It's great. Yes. That's why I've left. Senku being a dick for the good of mankind. Just crushes him to win his treehouse. It's like the funniest thing. <laughs> I haven't seen him beat right. down that badly since Battlebots. So, up next, Kohaku. She's cool. She's cool. Yeah. No She's comments. Because cool. everybody said it already. I like but the part. I also yeah. love it when everybody clowns on her. That's some of the best stuff of the show. Just going to also- say it. Mm-hmm. I also like the part in the manga where she turns into a titan. They better oh. animate that so bad. No one's All seen right. it in the anime, but in the manga, uh, Kohaku makes a face that looks like the Colossal Titan, and it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I need to see I need this. To see too. You should. It's hilarious. This should be the thumbnail for the episode. Yes! That'd be perfect. Yes! Alrighty. Kinro and Ginro. They're right. Justin Briner and Josh Greeley are the perfect um, buddy cop pairing in, I gotta say. Those two characters in general, they just bounce off each other so well. It's incredible. Kinro, I think, was decent. He's a decent straight man, but Ginro... I want this guy thrown into the sea. Ginro is more or less Mineta from My Hero Academia. I was gonna say He's like a better Mineta. He's definitely more likable than Mineta, but he's still pretty annoying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kasaki. One of the most underrated old men in anime ever. Oh, I love it. I Mm -hmm. love him being the badass old guy. His scenes of just 
getting jacked. It's amazing. It's amazing. They are. Is, is it wrong with a kind of... I want Kasuki to host a mini show so bad. I can just watch him <laughs> like, make stuff for like an hour straight. It's incredible. My, my yeah. favorite thing is when he says we're going to haul ass. Yes! Because <laughs> I tweeted that at Warhorse. I'm a big wrestling fan. And like, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Because I'm like, oh, apparently this saying's all over now. I actually watched that scene, I think, twice. Because I just loved it so much. Rory. Oh. She's cool. I mean, she doesn't do much, but kind of like Yuzuriha, but she's fine. I I agree. I I think she's fine as sort of being like the village princess. What's interesting about Dr. Stone and how it subverts Shonen, no real romantic interests in this series. Thank God for that. I'm thankful that we don't have to waste a debate or shipping. It's just, hey, we don't need shipping. We've got science. You say that, Nate, but... You say that, Nate, but I'm pretty sure there's at least one person out there in the world. Oh, we'll, well, we'll get to that one person. The bit of all, the Goro Majima of this series. And last but not least for the villagers, we have Suika. Oh my god, I love Suika, Suika. so much. Suika's best girl. We need to protect Suika with all our protect hearts. Protect the watermelon lolly at all costs. <laughs> oh my god. I want all the Suikas. Just... Like, there better be a ton of Suikas at Katsukon in a few weeks. There, There's gonna be. I, I've saw, I saw Suika or two at Anime NYC, but I didn't get their picture because I hadn't gotten to that point in Dr. Stone. I didn't think I was gonna see Suika... Suika at Colossal Con East a few months, like, uh, a few months ago. Suika... Suika's just the best. Mm-hmm. Like she's just she is cute, adorable watermelon-flavored cinnamon. She really, is really clever to put her precious. in there. Yeah, she's really, really clever. She's actually low-key my second favorite character behind only Senku. I would say that too. She's small, but she's incredibly useful. Although I have one little comment: her hat looks more like an apple than a watermelon even like the japanese style watermelons you see where they're more round than oblong actually her helmet reminds me of like a green kind of coconut it it does but just the shape of it it looks like a cross between an apple and a tomato yeah it looks like a green tomato it really does it looks like an unripe tomato but but i I like her a lot because she adds almost a comedy element into the show in many ways while still being useful and, like, her character's not being undermined. That's another thing. Uh, the comedy in Dr. Stone, to me, is some of the best in It show. is. Mm-hmm. I laugh like, it doesn't my com- ass off at every single moment in the series. True uh, that. Without question. Do we have a funniest moment? Oh, that's gonna be tough. I uh, uh, don't know how to pick uh, one. There's, like, three. I think uh, the one that stands out for me the most was... Oh, it's uh, it's Senku and Chrome. I think they were like trying to make um, what was it? Make ammonia? Glass. No, not glass. Ammonia. <laughs> yes, that yes you re- you remember that, Justin? Uh, so oh, get, I know what we're talking about now. Yeah, so to get ammonia, they pee in a bottle. <laughs> oh God! They pee in a bottle. No, but what makes that funnier for me is the face Kohaku makes. He's like, "You're going to give that shit to my sister." <laughs> I remember that. I, I was so hard for I was going on oh for the next five minutes. God. Dying. That was 
golden. I I, I like I also like the scene with the Coca Cola when they make the Coca Cola. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, 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 that sort of brings us to the last character we need to talk not, about. Not to ruin and anything, course... and then also another moment is the cotton candy stuff, also, which I thought was a sweet. Oh moment. yeah. And like a cotton candy thing. What the hell are they gonna need a cotton candy machine for? Oh, Don't you dare sorry. use that <laughs> phrase on this podcast. Oh, just for that, this podcast is ruined. Good night, Nate. Everyone. Nate. Nate. Yeah. <laughs> What else was I going to use? I was copyright friendly. <laughs> Brain blast. Brain blast. See, just pulled sight down right. Oh, well, we'll work with it. So we have one more character to talk about, and that is, of course, Gen. That's girl, by the way. That's girl. <laughs> <laughs> I liken him to Goro Majima from the Yakuza series because you never know whose side he's truly on. And he's also hella gay like Majima. He just won't admit it. I, I love Gen so much. He is amazing. Great character. As I said, he's like Goro Majima and David Blaine mixed together. Cheez-Its! 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 I just want to add, I really like how Gen every now and then will randomly insert Pig Latin into his sentences oh yeah yeah like how like yeah like how instead of saying oh this is crazy he would say oh this is az cray you know like something like that i kind of like that and i also like that they brought that over into the english dub and it actually doesn't sound terrible or jarring it actually doesn't sound that bad on that note i think uh should we talk about the dub? Yes. Yeah, right totally. So Next. I don't know anything about the dub. That's crazy because I'm so subtitled oriented. You're a sub purist. For, for almost like 85% of anime, I am completely like subtitles and it has it has to do with time. It has nothing to do with anything else. Like I love English dubs. I interview voice actors and I love them, but I want to watch it when it comes out the hour after. I don't want to wait a week or two. Take my advice, man. Wait until it finishes airing and then watch it all in one sitting. That makes me wish Doc, the show was actually, you know, same day simul dubbed even more. Not gonna happen. I don't, yeah, no one's going to, like, pull that off that easily. It, it used to be, like, six months, and that was maybe, what, like, five years ago? Yeah. And now, now it's, what, two weeks out? I mean, at, at the most? It's crazy what they do. I mean, there's actually a couple shows that are airing same day right now, and had not been for a fact that the show is joint licensed by Funimation and Crunchyroll. I could see them doing a same day simul dub for this. It'd be so, worth it. So one of the well, yeah, one of the, the only shows that actually did that, and technically it wasn't simul dubbed, was uh, Unicorn. Um, Unicorn Gundam Unicorn. Getting off topic, they the English voice actors did not have the Japanese to base off of it because the animation was done and they did them simultaneously as they were released essentially which is crazy oh so, i didn't know that it, it, it's a wild story because there was no reference point for the english voice actors and so it's a wild thing with at least with dr stone and i think this really comes into the dub a little bit where i think part of it is that the japanese cast is really really well done they mm -hmm. are well yeah you've got two uh, major shonen actors playing the leads uh senku is voiced by Yusuke Kobayashi, who was Zenji in Food Wars. 
And Taiju is voiced by Makoto Furukawa, a.k.a. Saitama. (laughs) And you've got Yuichi Nakamura as uh, Tsukasa. He's been in a few things. He's best known as Kyohei in Dorarara and Grey in Fairy He's also Bruno from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 5 as Best Mom. And Tetsuro in uh, Haikyuu. And Keisuke in Initial D. Oh, God, he's Tatsuya and a regular at Magic Academy. Yeah... That sucks. So, so my, my, my point is that when you have that reference and then there's a bunch of people talented in Texas, you know, they, they have a great reference point to jump off of. And Dr. Stone also is one of those shows that's so well written that from the little bit of the English that I have heard, because I did see the first episode, but beyond that, I haven't seen it in English. There's it almost voices itself in many ways because you have two great things that really help to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Strong case of it voicing itself, especially Aaron Dismuke as Senku. No, oh, Aaron Dismuke killed it as Senku. He is no, he the had best it part him. of the dub. In my opinion, Aaron is the best part of the dub. He is. Without question. Performance of his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He get... Can I just... Oh. Say... Can I just say this about Aaron? Because I hadn't heard him in anything for some time since Fullmetal Alchemist. And when I first heard him as Kyo in Asobi ni Ikuyo, which I do plan on covering for a future episode, my knee-jerk response was, Damn, Aaron, you got old. (laughs) Puberty hit Aaron like a wrecking ball, and it shows. But yeah, I think that he, his performance captures Senku's intelligent yet laid-back personality, and most importantly, his occasional dickishness. Yeah, that's part of where I said, I didn't know we had it in him. I've heard Aaron in a bunch of shows, some good, some bad. Same with a lot of his roles, especially in, uh, what was that one, Fuka, where he played the lead. He sort of so-so in the lead there. But this show, different, it's like it's a different Aaron Disney showed up, and I can't believe it. I didn't even know it was him until I looked it up. He's really matured into the the roles he's been given. Yep. And one scene that just stands out to me from just everything else in the show was... Oh, this is spoiler shit. Um... <laughs> nice. <laughs> Use a different scene. We'll talk about the spoilers uh, after we talk oh, okay, about the okay, dub. Okay, okay. Um, I, just, I just really wanted to bring this up just because it just shows how good of an actor Aaron is. But... I think I might have given away too much by complete accident, but it's just such a emotional and nuanced moment that it honestly took me by surprise. And I was actually amazed at just how good of a performance that was. We also got quite the rogues gallery in the supporting cast. You've got Rico Fayardo as Taiju. You've got Ian Sinclair as Sukasa, who is perfect. Ian he's is... so perfect that he spoiled Sukasa's entire personality the minute he started speaking. I have not heard Ian doing anything terrible ever. To me, he's like... He oh, is no. One... You haven't heard him in Mocking King. I've heard him in Mocking King. Yes. That show can go fuck itself. Totally. Oh. Oh, that's on we'll... my list now. That's one that's on the chopping block. God, I'm so glad I dropped that show. Um, I watched the first season all the way through. I am so sorry, Nate. <laughs> I can't sit through that. Okay. But no, I, like I like I said, to me, Ian is like one of the most consistently good voice actors ever, in my opinion. I have not heard him sound terrible in anything, even in roles 
where his voice barely matches the character, he still gives a good, charismatic enough performance that I can forgive him for the miscasting. That's what I said. Mockingbird. Of course, as for the villagers, we've got Felicia Angel as Kohaku. We've got Josh Grayley as Keenro and Justin Briner as Ginro. I did not know that that was Justin Briner as Ginro. Wow. I actually thought that it was Minoru's English voice actor for a second because it was so high-pitched. You also just wow. don't expect uh, Justin to voice a character like Ginro. You always expect him to voice Deku. Yeah, exactly. Dude is never going to outlive Deku. Yeah, sadly. Justin, no. Justin, uh, is Deku if Deku was a complete loser. Exactly. <laughs> so bad, so bad. Yeah, it is. We've got J. Michael Tatum as Magma. A.K.A. Gaston. <laughs> I never noticed the connection until you actually pointed that out. He and now it suddenly makes sense. We, yeah, we forgot to mention Magma. He's like the sec my second favorite villager after Suika. He's just so incredibly macho in everything he does. It would make sense, though, because he does want the princess, and that's Belle, you know? Just, just saying. No one's spear fights like Magma. No one, <laughs> no one makes men as gay as Magma. Nobody <laughs> talks like Magma. Nobody walks like Magma. Nicely done, J. Michael Tatum. And every last inch of me is covered in molten stone. <laughs> Metal AF. Uh, we've got Sarah Wiedenhaft voicing Suika. And Sarah Wiedenhaft always excels playing the cute character. She sounds just like Suika's Japanese voice actress. And that's great. I have not heard the Japanese side. I only watched this thing dubbed. Suika sounds revoltingly adorable in Japanese. And Sarah just mm -hmm. captures that very, very, very well. Isn't Sarah's biggest talent sounding revoltingly adorable? Revoltingly adorably squeaky, which is what Pretty she to Suika. But it works, because it's Sarah Wiedenhaft. I still need to see her in Land of the Lustrous. She was really good in that. I still need to finish that show, but she was great as Foss. Uh, one last little uh, person who's in this dub that doesn't get any credit was Kenny Green as Kasaki. And he's been with Funimation for a long yep. time. Um, I need to go back and like I need to go back and actually look that part up about him. He's he's so subtle. Uh, the only two roles, actually three or a few. I remember Kenny from One Piece as Django. He was that one old man from Juni Tyson. I don't remember his name. I'm trying to remember what it what he was, but I can't. Um, he's like that main. He's like he's my favorite old guy from Juni Tyson, but I can't remember his name for some reason. <laughs> He's like a sheep or ram. He represents the yeah. sheep. I, I think that was it. He was also in Desert Punk. His name was like Spider something, but the only thing I remembered about that character and by extension that show was the line, which, by the way, is one of the greatest lines ever. There's a party in my pants and everyone's coming! I remember that. No, nope, <laughs> uh, my favorite line from that show is always, remember, kids, a smart man knows when to run like a little oh, bitch! that too, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So I think great we've really show. talked about the dub. I, I think that the acting was good. The directing was great. Uh, the script was great. No real complaints. Do we have any complaints? Nah. Uh, just personal nitpicks for me. Um, Tsukasa's name pronunciation being inconsistent. Tsukasa. 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 It changes from person to person for some weird reason. I don't know if it has to do with matching the lip flaps or not, but yeah, I don't like when dubs do I... that. 
I think in this case it was because of the takes they used. Not the worst butchering of a Japanese name I have heard, though. It's no Chittery or Gintucky. So, going back to the story, we talked about the villagers. We kind of got sidetracked with the dub. One other thing I like about Dr. Stone is that they had a tournament, but the tournament was not the central focus of the show. Because they're not winning the tournament to prove, oh, who's the strongest. They're winning the tournament to get something. Yeah, in this case, uh, it's just so that, like, can get the position of chief. That way, they'll end up marrying Ruri, which will lead them closer, or at least get an easier chance to get the remedy for her. I will admit, when I saw they were having a tournament, my eyes just, my eyes almost rolled up in the back of my head. I'm like, oh crap, here's another, another damn it's show not like a, tournament art. It's not a six episode affair. They get it done in like two. Yeah, I was like, and then actually as they went on, they sort of broke down what was at stake in a tournament. I was like, oh, a tournament arc we can all get behind because there's a clear goal rather than just win to win. And it, ha- it got me on the edge of my seat in some spots because even if I knew it was going to happen, I wanted to see how it was going to happen. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting, the fact that... Because I, I had a feeling we were going to get a season two. I don't know how many other people felt at that point based on the popularity and the merchandising. And I don't know how the manga has done in sales, but I know that the show has done very well. And so I thought the tournament was going to be at least five episodes. And we were going to kind of end with curing Rory. I think that's how we say her name, right? Rory? Really? Yeah, I'm really bad at, at names and curing her. And that would have been the end of season two. And so I was kind of shocked that they did it in two episodes. They did it with science, and they did it in a very scientific way. No pun intended. That fight between Ginro and Magma is nothing short of brilliant. It was. Yeah. I loved the climax of that. I just personally loved the pose that that yes. uh, Ginro made when he got Suika's helmet. He just looked like <laughs> he looked like a JoJo character for me, and as a JoJo fan, I love that. I love that so bad. Thought it was comedic as well as not undermining, in That's my opinion. True. Yeah. Exactly. Considering how subversive Dr. Stone is of shonen tropes, I'll allow it. And I think that's one thing that I like of Dr. Stone. The pacing in the show is impeccable. Uh Like, they don't waste any time. There's no real episodes that you can say are filler or are perfectly skippable. Every episode serves a purpose. That's right. They don't have any, like, flashback or recap episodes. It's all, every episode is moving the story forward. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you've got Tokyo Movie Shinsha doing the adaptation. Yeah, there is very little waste in Dr. Stone, where I think that if you really wanted to cut out the fat in Dr. Stone, you would cut it out by two episodes over the entire first 24 episodes, which is insane if you think about it, because very few shows can actually handle that, where every panel, for, for the most part, is built a certain way and that's a very very intense thing to do the last show that i saw it was 91 days in 91 days there's no wasted motion and in 91 days you have a recap episode and you need that recap episode that is the only time in anime 
you need a recap episode. <laughs> and I feel with Dr. Stone, if we had a recap episode at 12, I wouldn't have been upset because technically we might have needed it. We definitely are going to need it going into season two. The first episode in season two has to be a recap episode because there's so much that. stuff that happened. But they should do it in the My Hero Academia way versing just the traditional way, which is something, or they'll probably do it in a clever way. And and so, but there's no wasted motion in Doctor Stone, or very little. That's, that's not noticeable. Uh, sort of like at the beginning of Double Zeta Gundam, where the first episode recaps both the original and Zeta, and it's told, I believe, from the perspective of Judao Ashta. But I, yeah. I don't know, because it's been a while since I've watched Double Zeta Gundam. Another thing to bring up about flashbacks, Dr. Stone does flashbacks decently well. Uh, whenever there is a flashback, whether it's with Senku's past before um, uh, the petrification happened. Oh, that those are great. Or when the, um, when the village was founded, not only were they just good, they helped expand upon uh, certain contexts a little bit of world building and just basically just explaining stuff that we sh we end up learning about. And I think now's a good time to talk about that one set of episodes. I'm going to set off the spoiler alarm so you can skip ahead a few minutes. So around episode 16 through 17, we learn the origins of the village and its name Ishigami. Ishigami Village. Named after Senku's father. Do we have any thoughts on Senku's father as an anime dad? He is one of the best anime dads ever. He deserves Without better, dang it. You want to talk about subverting tropes, because usually the anime dad is either badass dad, or abusive dad, or in the case of Shokugeki no Soma condescending dad hey joichiro is kind of cool he is I i'll give him that but yeah but senku's dad is a fairly normal anime dad i mean i think his dad in many ways is what a father should be yeah. Yeah. where where you know the idea is that we get that flashback where he goes and he sells some stuff to get senku books and it's a very touching moment because he's valuing his son's education and he's putting it forth and forward and it's important. And then we see the relationship where Senku, you know, realizes that his dad wants to go to space, which is how he avoided the petrification. And that, because I think we're still in the spoiler alert. So, but Senku really helped his father due to that education that he learned, build the spacesuit that allowed him to train and eventually get into space. And so it's a very interesting relationship between father and son can, and can we also just appreciate uh the very fact that biakuya trusted his son so much that he just put it so much faith so much hope in the fact that senku someday thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years later will discover his message just on a whim that is some incredible faith and trust that he has in his son i think i think it goes speaks to a father and a son's bond when we go into this and i don't mean to sound traditional or, or get into politics and some people might disagree with me on this but i do think that a father and son have a bond much like a mother and a daughter have a bond 
And I think that this show really hits that. And the fact that he nurtured his son and that he really sacrificed and his son sacrificed for him furthers that bond. And it's so touching because, I mean, I'm planning to, to eventually be a father at some point, hopefully in the next three or four years. And I, I would love to have a son, and I'm looking forward to having that bond myself. Yeah. And it's the same thing with me and my father. So it's very relatable as a guy. And I don't know how women feel about it because I'm not a woman. But as a guy, it's, it's actually very relatable. And I think that's something that Dr. Stone touches upon Yeah, nicely. It totally is. It's kind of like the old father-son working on a car project. And that actually was the part that got me about their whole relationship is like even though it may be a cliche, but it's a good cliche, yeah. and that's why it still draws people. But I think in today's world, you know that that cliche, and I mean, I'm slightly jaded, but I feel like that cliche, while it's a cliche, isn't really put out there. I mean, I live in Washington D.C., and there's all these ads for fatherhood.org, or dance like a dad, or make breakfast like a dad. They got a ton of those in Maryland as well. And, and so and so it's it, it's very much and I know we, we mentioned Katsukon a few times on this podcast in passing, but it's very much that if you turn on the TV and you're going to Katsukon or you're in Maryland or DC, I mean it sounds like a cliche, but I don't think it is. I mean I think that's sort of dead. And I don't mean to get political or anything like that, but I think it's a nice reminder that and I think it's a good role model for men. I really yeah. do. And and also to add, we're living in a time right now where where women are always have been being put into a position like they're being being put a lot more focused on now for a multitude a multitude of reasons. Like I said before, I don't want to like derail this into like a political society social kind of discussion. But the point of the matter is, is that women are getting more focused. Than I believe than ever before, and I think that like the prospects, uh, the idea of what it means to be a man, especially as a father figure, is either ignored or misinterpreted very badly. And just talking about this now just makes me appreciate both Doctor Stone and Bianca as a character much, much more now. He's unselfish. Yes. Mm-hmm. That- when he returns to Earth with everyone in tow, he 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 immediately wants to rebuild the world, and he's passing that on to his son. And I think the, the revelation of just everything he did to build up this village, plot holes aside about how these people are able to reproduce for so long. Do we have about that? Oh, God. Um, oh, dear. It's really touching to know that Senku's father did all this for him in the hope that Senku would eventually come back. And I'm just, my heart's breaking just talking about it. Mine too, man. Mine too. And it's just like earlier when I was talking about Aaron's performance and I accidentally spoiled again. Sorry. <laughs> I edited that part okay. out. Don't okay, worry. thank God. Thank you, Nate. Um, yeah, it was just that moment where Ruri was taking Senku to the village cemetery, and right on that hill, at the top of that hill was Byakuya's grave, and Ruri explaining all this to Senku, and Senku just realizing that his dad 
founded the village. He did all of this for him. And just the fact that Senku just has to deal with the fact that his dad is dead is such a heavy, painful, just really painful moment for him. And you can hear that in Aaron's performance because, like I said, it is very nuanced in a way that took almost took me off guard. So I think we've pretty much talked about everything we need to talk about. Does anyone have any other thoughts on uh, Dr. Stone? I hope it gets three more seasons. I'm going to say it. I'll take three more seasons. I don't know if everyone can see that. I'll take three more seasons, and may everyone in that village live long and prosper. I just hope that Tokyo Movie Shinsha does for the rest of the season. Oh, hell yeah. I'm looking oh, forward to because... the spinoff with uh, Senku's dad. That's being written. Oh, Yo! yeah, we forgot. Yeah. They're making a spinoff. I mean, talk about popularity and talk yeah. about that moment, and we, we just went through it. I mean, I was hoping we were going to talk about it. Cause, cause I it wanted, I wanted really... Biakia to run the show so bad. <laughs> oh I mean, I would love, I would love like a 12-episode show with Senku's father. Personally, if it's done the same way Dr. Stone has been done, it could be in between like season two and three if we get that far or whenever. But, but the idea of it is that I think it would be such a cool thing because we know the world and then it's like the prequel. And I think it would yes. be such a cool idea. And that's yeah. something that I would like. But I like the fact that we're getting that. And I think that speaks volume of what fans want, what people want, and the fact that people love this show. And – just for me personally, and I know that this won't happen in the spinoff, but I would like more scenes of Byakuya with the rest of the astronauts, because I like the astronauts. The one astronaut was my only real complaint about the English dub, that guy with the Russian accent. Okay, you know what? I would also like to add, um, I think it was Christopher Bevins that voices Yakov, and mm-hmm. and Patrick Seitz voices the French dude, Chenille, was that, was that his name? Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, they should have switched roles. I agree. Because mm-hmm. you do not expect Patrick Seitz to voice a guy like Schneel, because you've got that deep bear-like voice of Patrick's coming out of like a scrawny... I wouldn't necessarily say scrawny, but just a really lean-ish looking guy like Chenille, as opposed to Yakov, who's just a big guy. Yeah, I agree. So do we have any negative comments about Dr. Stone? Because I don't. No, not really. I give up. Even if they are negative, I just feel like they're just slight nitpicks at best. I mean, it's taking a cheap shot at a show that really took a major risk on doing something different and was successful at it. So the fact that they took that risk, and this isn't a negative comment, but it's just how I view it, and they hit a home run. So if anything, I have to go and say they made something that was out in left field go into right field over the goalpost. That's more commendable where it's almost like it's double the positive track versus even just being the positive track in one direction, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, it's like it's like hitting a home run out of Camden Yards and into 95. 
that's what they did with this show. Or it's like winning the you're the last batter up in the game's tied at the World Series, the night the seventh game, and you have two strikes on you and you're the last batter and you hit the home run. Exactly. Or scoring a triple overtime Stanley Cup winning goal at Madison Square Garden when you're the visiting team. It's like Tom Brady on Super Bowl 50 and Roger Goodell has to shake his hand. <laughs> Last lap pass for the win from 10 cars back in the Daytona 500. While the guy was blind. Uh, yes. Nobody's going God. to get our sports reference. I don't get, I don't <laughs> I don't get that at all. I'm the only guy in this call that doesn't get the sports reference because I don't follow them. Well, at least at yeah. least we know that this Sunday, Liv Morgan will be at the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I can't really say anything bad about Dr. Stone. If there's any negatives, they're very much very small things. My only real negative is that I just think Geenro's kind of annoying, but he does mellow out. And apparently later on, he does get to showcase why he's necessary. And I think you first. what I've heard in interviews with Ryuchi is that he put great emphasis on the fact that every character in Dr. Stone is basically essential. Yeah. He didn't want anyone really to be useless. He wanted everyone to play a part in the grander scheme of things. And that's what makes Dr. Stone so appealing. Like you got, like you got Suika, for example, who like in any other anime would just been like the annoying little kid that just does jack all. But you have her like doing like safe minor tasks when it, like on bigger projects or she'll go out and like gather information. She's a scout. Yes, that's it. That's the point. And, and also you got Kasaki. Like you never would have expected that like one of the main contributors or just like a member of the science team to be this jacked old man who loves crafting. He's master Asia after eating a load of protein powder. Exactly. He is that left field character where you just never see him coming. And of course there's a lot also we didn't talk about. We didn't really talk about the, the the two rogues of uh, Tsukasa's army that uh, got introduced, but I think we'll go more when, when season two airs. We'll probably come mm-hmm. back together with season two when it finishes airing next yep. year. But that's really all we have to say about Dr. Stone. It's a shonen series that you should watch even if you don't like shonen. And I am not a shonen fan by any stretch of the imagination. As I said in my interview that I did with Rara Granger, I am not a fan. I have not seen a single episode of Dragon Ball. I have not seen a single episode of One Piece, of Fairy Tale, of Black Clover. I haven't really watched anime Fireman Sam. I mean Fire Force. (laughs) Never heard it called that before. I only watched 12 episodes of One Piece, and I only watched 12 episodes of Bleach before I discovered everything else. But Dr. Stone, probably my favorite shonen this side of Fist of the North Star. And it's one that I wholly recommend. You can watch it on Funimation and on Crunchyroll. The manga is also available from Viz. I believe they are up to volume 10. I haven't checked. I haven't checked either. I was also going to say, watch it on Saturday nights on Toonami. So got a couple weeks well, left. Well, it's still airing. Yep, so got a couple, we like a week or two left of it, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that'll do it for our first episode. I know it's going to be a little rough around the edges, but I'll hopefully smooth it out over time. So until then, I'm Otaku Nate. I- I'm William. See ya. I'm Justin Young. Peace out. 
And I'm Andrew Davis from Pop Anime Comics and Pop Anime Comics Lounge. So check me out on those things. And thank you, D, for hosting all of us. And we're signing off and saying, It's back! <laughs> yeah, we need to. Yeah.